In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jonathan Rennick about using Inertia.js to create single-page application experiences without abandoning tried and tested server-side application development workflows. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 127. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wallen, and today it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show, I think the number one recurring guest of all time, Jonathan Reinink. How is it going, dude? It's going awesome, Adam. How are you? I am doing great. So, um, the reason I want to have you on the show today is last time that we talked, we talked, we did this episode, I think it was episode 108. Uh, client-side rendering, server-side routing, where we talked a bunch about this approach that you had been exploring for building like sort of traditional Laravel or Rails, whatever apps, you know, with like your controllers and doing your database queries and preparing all your data for your views and stuff. Uh, but instead of doing um, what I think a lot of us have done in the past, which is use like a blade view in Laravel, maybe with like some view components mixed in, um, just deciding to go all in on uh, a library like view or react for the, the front end. So literally no server generated markup um, everything's kind of done on the client so that all the UI lives in sort of one, you know, uh, approach, but not like throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you know, and like having to create an SPA and then create an API and worry about all that because really you're just trying to build a regular app. You just want the UI to feel responsive and interactive and kind of high fidelity. So that's kind of where we ended up last time and this was kind of you were just kind of doing that with some diy sort of stuff you know just you wrote a blog post about it that we linked in the episode that sort of explained the setup and how you kind of had things organized Uh, but since then you've sort of taken things to the next level and looked for ways to sort of optimize this workflow and built like a whole library around it now called inertia js which is taking the world by storm (laughs) (laughs) so i thought it'd be awesome to to sort of make this episode sort of like the canonical inertia js uh conversation and really uh talk about what it is what problems it tries to solve um where you're trying to go with it in the future and what's there now what people have been doing with it so uh, I guess maybe the best place to start would be talking about like what inertia JS actually is. What problems does it try to solve, especially with uh, in comparison to the approach that we talked about last time on the podcast? Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's dig in. So I think I think it actually works out pretty well, kind of where this conversation ended last time, and, and kind of where I went with that, um, kind of following that discussion. Um, so to recap a little bit, which you already did, um, a bit, the whole idea that I, or the whole problem I was trying to solve, um, when we spoke last time was really, um, trying to simplify my applications. I was using, uh, I built my applications using Laravel and I use blade. And then I also use view whenever I need some sort of interactivity, which in my applications, I found that I want to use view more and more. It was just a very natural thing that happened in my apps. I have a, you know, a lot of my apps are pretty standard web apps that have forms, a lot of forms, 
And what I wanted, and I often reach for Vue to kind of help me build those forms and build those pages. Uh, I kind of not totally satisfied with what I can produce just using classic server-side um, um, server uh, templating and form submissions. So what ended up happening is I would have my app, which would have all my routes and my controllers that would render these blade templates, so these server-side views, which inside of them would contain some HTML, and then in, in, in addition to that, would also have a certain amount of view components kind of uh, mixed in with that HTML. And that worked pretty good. This is pretty standard, right? Um, but the problem that I faced with that is I was constantly juggling between my blade templates and my view templates. So I, was, I found myself you know, jumping back and forth from blade to my view components and I found that like a very un like uh, yeah it just didn't feel like a very good way to it was kind of just an, a non-efficient um sort of constantly having to shift the two different paradigms between like a server-side rendered templating language and a, a fully javascript uh, uh rendering system and I think the probably even the most annoying part was that I would have situations where I'd have a page in my app that I needed to add some sort of simple JavaScript functionality to it. And I would have to, I found myself constantly taking these blade templates that I had written and having to convert them over to view templates. And I found that kind of a painful process. Like, oh, I just want to add this one simple piece of functionality. Maybe it's some sort of conditional loading based on some state or something else. And now I have to go through the process of converting this template to a view template. And I just, I really didn't like that. I just kind of wanted to be able to get in, make a change and not have a small little thing turn into a, an hour long job just because I happened to write it in Blade originally. So that really like pushed me. So what I ended up finding myself doing kind of as this evolved, I ended up finding myself creating these page components. So uh, in view, so I have these view page components. So what would end up happening was I'd have my controller, which would render a blade template. And that blade template would literally have like one HTML element rendered in it, which was that, that page, that view page component. And then from there, I would go and just build the page in view. And it didn't really take long for me to realize, well, that was kind of silly because I had all these inter intermediary blade views that literally did nothing more than just render this view template or yeah, this view, view page component. So that's really what got me thinking, well, maybe there's kind of like a better way of doing this. So that at, at the point of our last discussion, that's where I was at each one of these pages. Um, I actually, I think in that article, I might've come up with a system where I actually rendered, uh, I actually basically created a single view blade view which would just render out whatever component i password so yeah. i actually am yeah so yeah so that is sorry i'm trying to remember how far i got in that yeah at that stage so and, and but what i was doing there is it was still essentially every single page load was a full server-side page load um and then i was what i was doing to kind of give it even a bit more of like the spa feel um so to avoid the full page loads i was using turbo links um, and TurboLinks, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically uh, a way. It, it's a way within your application to kind of like 
convert a classic server-side rendered application into like an SPA. And what it does is it basically hijacks click events, uh, like link click events, and loads the next page, whatever the page you're going to go to, loads it using Ajax and then just does uh, does actually like some DOM manipulation to replace uh, whatever the new page is or whatever the existing page is with the new page. And it kind of handles all the, the history state and whatever else um, accordingly. And that was cool. It felt good. Uh, it was um, because now I essentially had a, an SPA, but I was using kind of classic server-side routing and controllers and all that. But the problem with that approach was that Turbo Links was really not designed for that. Turbo Links was really designed for when you build applications that are fully server-side rendered. But at this point, I essentially had an application that was fully client-side rendered. I just happened to be, you know, creating it as kind of like a, a more classic server-side app with separate endpoints. Um, so it really was kind of like the wrong tool for the job because what ended up happening is Turbolink's just the way it works. On every single page load, it would completely destroy the current instance of view, which were meant which meant on every single page visit that view had to reboot so to speak, and reinitialize. And that created a flicker, which I wasn't happy with. It's amazing the lengths that I'll <laughs> go to as a web developer to avoid a page flicker. It really, it really is. Anyway, so that's, I'm like, how can I get away from this page flicker? Uh, so I thought, you know, I, I hacked around with Turbo Links and kind of this setup for quite a while. And then I, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe the problem is, I shouldn't be returning HTML on the subsequent page loads. And that's really when I had like this brainwave idea, like, well, what if on subsequent page loads, so the initial page load, it would obviously be an HTML, kind of that that whole like standard setup. But on subsequent page loads, when you click a link, instead of returning a full HTML response, what if it only returned the data it needed for the next page, which would be returned as JSON, that somehow client side, it would know how to um, replace the current page component with whatever the new page component is, right? And then pass it whatever necessary props data that page component needs. So that's, and we can, uh, there's lots of detail in there, but we, that's really kind of how I got to this idea of, uh, of inertia JS, because at that point, by doing it that way, I could maintain the current view instance and view has this feature um i forget exactly what it's called but i think it's it's called dynamic components where you can dynamically switch a component uh to some other component and uh and that's really kind of the 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 the, the key feature that inertia uses to kind of make all this possible and that's a that's a feature available in other client side frameworks like um like react and svelte and yeah. Well, those are those are the two that I know of that support that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a it's a pretty interesting approach for sure. I think um, I think it's probably worth like talking about in a little bit more detail the exact like song and dance that that actually happens because I think that'll help people understand exactly what you're trying to do. So I'll kind of explain, I guess, like the way I understand it, and you tell me what I got right and what I got wrong. The way that I understand it is like so. So kind of like your approach that you were using before, um, inertia, the very first response that you get out from like your Laravel app is basically the same that you would get with the previous approach. 
you make a request to the server, some HTML comes back in that HTML. There's like a, uh, a tag somewhere with like an app ID or something, something that says like, Hey, view, this is where you're going to mount to. And you have some, uh, data attributes on there that kind of says like, this is the com- page component that you should be loading. And like, this is the props for that should be passed into that page. And that's all stuff that comes from the server. So in your controllers, you're basically, instead of returning like a traditional blade view, you're you're basically returning a little data structure that says, this is the component, this is the props um, that should be used. So you get that HTML back. Um, Inertia's job at this point is really just like sort of parsing out the, the information from your HTML, like those data attributes and stuff, and telling view like, hey, render this component and render it with these props. So then view takes over, boots up, mounts itself to that root element, um, renders the component there and stuff. But then subsequent navigation is where it gets really interesting. So now if you click a link on the page that loaded up, instead of the server sending back HTML again and having to do that whole thing, um, inertia is sort of like sending some metadata along with that request, I think as a header that tells Laravel like, hey, this request is coming from an inertia environment, not as just like a regular old um, get request or whatever. Uh, I don't need all the HTML and all that stuff. In fact, that would just make my life harder. What I really need is just send me some JSON that says this is the component that should be shown and these are the props that should be passed into that component. And then what Inertia does is it just tells View, hey, this is the component that you should switch to now. Here's the props for that component. And then Inertia also manages like all the history stuff because, of course, like this is all client-side rendered now, so there's no browser history happening automatically you have to like push things into the browser history and handle all the back and forward navigation and all that that nightmarish stuff yourself but at at sort of like the simplest you know understanding of how everything works that that's basically it and i think that's kind of where the name inertia came from too right it's kind of like you start up there's like this expensive sort of setup cost and it's not expensive per se it's what you were doing on every blade page already anyways exactly yeah but the idea is like once you've done all that work the first time, it's stupid to do it over and over again. Just keep the view instance alive, keep the whole page alive. And now from here on out, everything is a lot more lightweight in terms of uh, navigating around because you're not like tearing things down and rebuilding them every time. It's just like it's booted up. It's alive. Now you're just dynamically swapping things and managing history on the client. That's a great explanation. So the only part maybe I would kind of just expand on a little bit more just so people really understand the kind of the concept from like if you actually consider what a controller method looks like, what it basically is. So previously, if you were using Blade, you would say uh, return view, you'd give it a view, whatever your template name is, and you'd give it some data. Um you know, and then that template would have that data and you could render it out, right? Whereas with inertia, it like it basically works the exact same way, except instead of returning a blade template name, you return a view page component name. And then the data that you return isn't um it's the exact same sort of concept, but what happens is that data that you return ends up being passed 
to that page component as props. So if you're familiar with Vue, every component has props, properties, and that's just data that you send to that component that that component can use. Um, so that's how you get your data, and that's from your server-side application to your client side. And one kind of little thing you got to keep in mind when you do this is that when you return data from your controller in this way, you have to be more specific about what data you actually want to return. So maybe in a more classic uh, Laravel app where you have, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, maybe you have a, a users page, a, like an index page that lists a bunch of users, right? So you'd maybe return users.index, so that would maybe be your blade page, and you'd return uh, a collection of users. Um, so you would do that very similar in inertia, except instead of just returning the entire set of users, um, the collection, you'd probably want to be a little bit more specific about what data you return. So you might say users and then say, well, give me the ID and give me the user name and maybe their email address. Only the actual, like only the values you actually want to show on that page. And the reason why is because that data is available client side. So you got to be careful what data you pass because it all becomes available client side. And um, so you do that one to protect yourself from not exposing, you know, sensitive or stuff that people shouldn't have access to. But you also do that to minimize the payload sent on every single request. So this is what's kind of like really, really awesome about Inertia. Um, like unlike maybe a, a traditional REST API where you always just get a whole bunch of data back on, you know, when you request data from the user endpoint, with Inertia, you can say, well, no, for this particular page, I literally only want these three columns and nothing else. It's almost a lot more like uh, um, GraphQL in that sense. You can be very specific about what data gets returned back. Yeah, yeah, that's the really cool thing about the whole approach, right? It, it is like GraphQL in a sense, except it's a lot less fancy than that, right? Like it's not as like grandiose. It's, it's, it's not GraphQL, it's like, SQL, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can just query the data store for whatever you want and you can do it totally safely because you're on the server. So you can validate permissions and all that stuff there. Um, and you don't need that intermediate layer like you do with GraphQL where you have the client making a request using GraphQL as the syntax to the server, which then has to parse that request and translate that into some other database queries to the real underlying data uh, base engine. Um, yeah. So it, it just, it makes things a lot simpler and, and gives you a lot more powers as long as you don't actually need an API, um, which for the sorts of apps that I know that we work on, like it's, it's actually not that common, right? Like most of the time you're just, you're building a website basically. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I, I think, yeah. I think that this is sometimes where people get hung up when they hear about inertia and I think that this is maybe something that as developers we are guilty for. Every time we see some new piece of technology or some new framework or some new way of doing things, I think we have this inclination to want to make or figure out if that thing can be the right tool for every possible situation that you might encounter. Yeah. And and I've been very open about this right from the beginning with Inertia. Inertia isn't necessarily intended for every possible website or application you build. So like right off the top, Inertia is a server, a client-side rendered application. It's in view. So if SEO is a major concern for you, uh, even though... Um, 
search engines like Google are getting better at parsing out JavaScript uh, and, and rendering that content and, and indexing it, it's still like if I was building an SEO sensitive product, I definitely wouldn't be doing using inertia. And in the in the same vein, like if you're making a an application that absolutely has to have multiple clients, maybe a web app and an iOS app and an Android app and maybe a desktop app. Um, I don't know that I would use inertia there either. I would definitely think about it because in that situation, it probably does make more sense to have some sort of API that kind of is consumed by each one of those clients, whether that be a REST API or, or, or GraphQL or whatever. But the thing about it is with inertia, this my like my really like the 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 primary audience for this tool is people who have already committed themselves to using a classic server-side framework, who've already uh, accepted the fact that they're creating controllers and not using an API, um, and that they were totally okay with building their application in that sort of way anyway. But with Inertia, I really wanted to make it possible for them to be able to create these high-fidelity, like really nice interactive uh, client-side driven applications that I believe, um, like I guess I really believe that you need to use JavaScript a lot in in modern web development to 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 deliver the t- kind of experience that I think users want. And I know that's uh, <laughs> that's maybe a uh, um, a hot topic right on its own. But I, at least for me, that's the kind of applications I want to build. So I want to use language or tools like React and Vue to create web applications. But I hate this idea that well. If, you know, if you go and ask people, if you go and ask people on the internet, developers, well, how do I build a modern React or a modern Vue application? The answer these days is always, well, you need to build an API. Like that's always the answer. And and I totally get that response because that is the way it's been designed to do to work. If you want to build an SPA, you want to build a, a client side application, you have to build an API because that's kind of just how it's done. And that's because nobody's really been tackling kind of this problem, like how we can merge these two worlds, this server-side world and the client-side world, uh, for situations where you don't need an API. And that's really where I think inertia shines. Um, it allows people to who would you know historically build a server-side rendered application with server-side routing using their server-side ORM, uh, just returning data from controllers. It allows them to continue doing all those things that they know and love to do but still have a really, really nice JavaScript-driven front end. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the important way to frame it, right? I think um, it's easy to look at it and it's easy. So there's a common, like, the common complaint about, like, building, like, a Vue app or a React app, right, is like, oh, you're introducing all this complexity. All I need is, like, a Rails app or whatever, right? And a lot of people would, I think I could see a lot of people making that argument to you, like, I don't want to use React View. I just want to use server rendered HTML. But if you if you really like analyze that and get to the bottom of it, the reason that they want to just like build a simple Rails app or build a simple Laravel app has nothing to do with how uh, View or React or whatever inherently work. It has to do with like what else you have to buy into because of it. That's like, well, if I want to use View, that means I need an API. That need means I need um, all this crazy, you know, front end ecosystem 
crap. I got to figure out how to authenticate with my API. And it, it just feels like there's this huge divide. And it feels like you either have to go server rendered HTML or you have to go full API SPA, whatever. And the whole point of inertia is like, you're actually on the, the same team as those people making those complaints, which I think is what the people don't necessarily realize a lot. And it's like, I, the it, inertia sort of comes, I feel like from this, from this refusal to like accept that it has to be one way or the other. It's like, I want that simple monolithic development experience that I already was getting with Laravel or Rails or Django or whatever. But I don't want to that to mean that I can't build a nice interactive front end using these modern declarative libraries. Like I don't want to have to use jQuery just because I'm using Blade. You know what I mean? Like there, it doesn't have to be that way. The whole point is like we with inertia you're 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 basically paving a way to like use these tools and paradigms without throwing out all of the convenience and simplicity of the sort of stack that people were using before yep no that's that's exactly it like i if you actually go to the inertia website inertiajs.com you'll see my tagline for the project is the modern monolith so like that's that's totally my goal like i I love the monolith. I embrace the monolith. I think, um, I think, anytime you move away from the monolith, things become more complicated. And and of course, there's good reasons for doing that. Sometimes, it's just I the, the types of projects that I'm building, and I think the types of projects that a lot of people are building don't always require the the more complex setup. Um, and, and 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 monolith, I think, can serve people well for for very very big projects. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so a bunch of things I want to get into. Um, I think maybe a good place to start. I, what I'd like to do is spend sort of like the second half of this conversation, mostly talking about sort of inertia's API and some of the features that it has, and like some of the features that you're still working on. Uh, but I think before we do that, I think it'd be worth clearing up. Um, what inertia actually is in terms of technology. Like we've been talking a lot about Laravel and about Vue. So I think it would be easy for someone to think like, oh, okay, well, if I don't use Laravel and I don't use Vue, like inertia is not for me. Or some other people might be getting the impression that inertia is like a a framework that you have to like really super buy into, which, which is not not true, I guess. But I think in my head, I see inertia as more of like a protocol than like an actual um, library. So do you mind talking a little bit about what you feel like inertia actually is and like what it would look like to use inertia with react and Django instead of Laravel and Vue? Yeah, I love, I love it. That's a, a really good thing to clear up. So yeah, I've kind of been intentional about what I've called inertia to this point and I've avoided calling it a framework because I think one, I think that has some serious baggage that when you start talking to people that, uh, okay, well, here's a new JavaScript framework and people are just like, I can't do it. I don't want another one, right? We already have so many of these. And and not only that, like my goal was never to create a new framework. A framework as in, when I say framework, at least from a client side perspective, I'm thinking like Angular or React yeah, or like Vue. Something that manages the DOM and has like a VDOM exactly. and... Whatever, all the reactive right? stuff and yeah, everything that comes along with that. So like one of the nice things about inertia right off the bat is that you don't need to like give up whatever framework, whatever client side framework, you know, and love already. So we, we have adapters already for react 
and Vue and Svelte, um, and those um, and those all work. They're ready to go. They work great. So I call, yeah, like I, I like the idea of calling like or thinking of re, uh, of inertia as like more of a protocol. Um, so the way it actually practically gets implemented is it's a bunch of different libraries, and and these libraries you have kind of the core library, the core JavaScript library, which is Inertia, which handles pretty much just the the um, the browser state and some different things. So that it's actually really short. The whole like the entire Inertia core library, it's it's I don't know actually right offhand, but it would be less than like three hundred lines of code. Like it's very very little, very minimal because all it's doing is handling the browser state and kind of just facilitating the requests. So then on top of that, you have the actual uh, framework-specific adapters, so one for React and Vue and whatnot. Uh, so you install those as well, which is basically just a way to kind of connect Inertia into your framework. And what it does is it kind of gives you like a default or a base page component that you can boot um, boot Inertia or boot Vue or, or React up with. So that's kind of that piece, and you can do some configuration in there. And then kind of, so that's the, the client side of it. And then there's libraries, there's server-side libraries as well, server-side adapters as well. And right now we have two, one for Laravel and one for Rails. So, and, and there is actually other ones in the in the community. Other people are developing them. Uh, I would, I imagine we'll see more in the future. I, I suspect we'll have probably an official Django one in the future. We might have a, a, an official Symfony one in PHP in the future. But the idea is really, it doesn't kind of really matter what server-side framework you're using. It, you'd be able to use inertia with it because it's just a matter of seeing the responses coming in, detecting if it's an inertia response, and then returning a proper JSON uh, payload if it is an inertia response. Otherwise, returning the the full HTML response. So creating the server side, creating the server side adapters is pretty straightforward. Actually, they're they're pretty minimal. Um, so anyway, so you piece these things, these different libraries together, you get a, the, the server side adapter installed, you get the client side adapters installed, and then kind of the whole thing just works in unison. And I think this is kind of one of the really interesting pieces of inertia. Uh, we can, I think we've only sort of started, uh, just unpacking and, and, and get touching the surface of what is kind of possible when you have these server side and client side adapters that both know how each other work um, because you can do some really interesting things and I'll give you one example. So in inertia, one of the like really challenging problems that you can run into when you're building an SPA as opposed to like an application that's, that does full page reloads is handling outdated assets. So outdated CSS assets, outdated JavaScript assets. And this can be a really challenging problem in a classic uh, a classic SPA that has an, like an API and everything. Uh, because what happens is you have a customer that's browsing your, your website, your application, and they have some outdated assets. And then you deploy some changes and those new assets are in production. But because it's an SPA, there's nothing forcing those assets to actually reload. Nothing forcing the user to, to, to download the new versions of those assets. Um, so, and the way people have come up with some some 
crazy ways to handle this where they have like these service workers running that periodically check to see if there's new ones. Um, and, and there are solutions. I'm not saying there's not solutions to it, but it's, it's a remarkably tricky problem uh, that you wouldn't necessarily realize when you're just first starting to work with an SPA. So what's interesting with inertia is because you have these server-side adapters and these client-side adapters that really know how each other work. Like It's all the same overall architecture and, and framework in that sense. We can do some interesting things. So what happens is on every single response, so every single inertia response, it includes, the as we've mentioned, the page component name and also the data, but it also returns a version of your assets. Now, by default, this is not enabled, but you can really, really easily enable this. And the, the way you enable this is using the inertia server-side adapter. And the server-side adapters basically have a, a system where you can say, this is some key that determines my current asset version. So in Laravel, I, I do a, like an MD5, I think, on the Laravel mix uh, JSON file. And by doing an MD5 on that, it, anytime any assets change, that version uh, MD5 uh, value changes. So then what happens is on the uh, client side, inertia, when it gets a new response, so when it gets a response back from the server, it says, okay, this page has this version of the assets and it keeps that in local memory. So then when it makes a subsequent page visit, so you clicked a link, what inertia does is it passes the header X inertia true to tell the server side that it's an inertia response, but it also includes the current version key. So then when that version key is passed down to the server, the server immediately in the inertia middleware that ships with the adapters, it checks and it compares. Well, here's what the front end thinks the current version of the assets are, but we know locally this is what they actually are, and it compares them. And if they're the same version, no big deal. The request just goes through as expected. But if the if the version is different, inertia, I mean, the client-side adapter actually stops and throws, and I forget the response code, but we have some response code. It's, it's like a conflict com, uh, response code like a 419 or I forget exactly what it is. doesn't matter. And then inertia gets that response code, like that response back and says, oh, the server's telling me that the, the assets are out of date. So what it'll automatically do is instead of doing a classic or, or sorry, it'll instead of doing the Ajax um, JSON inertia standard page replacement, it'll actually do a full page reload. So it'll actually do like a classic page visit at that point which forces the whole page to reload on the user and that allows uh, allows the assets to be refreshed because the whole page like because you've done a, a, a full page reload. So that like totally totally handles that problem and inertia is like really smart about this even like it'll uh, it still manage the proper uh, history state when it does that. Uh, if you've passed in flash value, so maybe maybe someone's literally like filled out a form, you know, and they uh, they submit that form and the server goes off and saves that data from the form and then there's some flash data that says, hey, uh, you've successfully created a new user and you want to show that flash data. Inertia will literally be smart enough if it detects during that form submission, um, if it detects that the assets have changed, it'll still return that response back. It'll it'll do the full page reload and it'll reflash those values so that when that that visit actually happens, you'll still even have that flash message, even though two requests have technically happened at that point. So that's just like 
one really, really cool feature of inertia that I think is like quite like super doable in this setup because the server side adapters and the client side adapters work together so closely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's definitely one of those problems that I think first time SPA builders underestimate uh, the challenge of for sure. And I love how it works on inertia because it's so automatic in the sense that um, in like a typical SPA, you might get like a little toast thing that pops up that says like a new version of the app is available, like refresh or whatever. But with inertia, because like inertia is already designed to support both like an initial regular HTTP request as well as like subsequent requests from an already booted inertia app. If it detects the assets are out of date, it's just like, okay, well, and well, we'll just make the request again, but we'll make it as if we're not, we're not an inertia app so that we get back HTML and it just works as like a regular browser visit. And now you automatically get all the updated assets because the browser is just like fetching a fresh page. So yeah, exactly. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean is a simple, developer-friendly cloud platform optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. Uh, I've personally been a customer of DigitalOcean for about five years, and I use them to host all of my server-side projects, like my custom course platform, for example, which is built with Laravel. A lot of the guests that I've had on the show in the past are DigitalOcean customers as well. Uh, for example, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, he uses DigitalOcean to host Envoyer and Laravel Forge, and Jeffrey Way actually uses DigitalOcean to host Laracast as well. Uh, one of DigitalOcean's newest features that I'm personally really excited about is managed databases, uh, which lets you spin up a completely managed database server so you don't have to worry about anything like backups, uh, managing read-only replicas, or just general server maintenance. Now, DigitalOcean is already an extremely affordable service. You can spin up a server for as little as $5 a month, but they've been kind enough to offer a free $50 credit to Full Stack Radio listeners. So head over to do.co slash full stack, all one word, to claim your $50 credit. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. I think like one thing to get into a little bit, um, kind of based on where we started with this question about like what is inertia and what isn't inertia. In my head, I kind of think of like, the server side adapters is almost just being like they're they're very convenient but like they're not really that important right like as like inertia includes more sort of opinions and sort of like possible features like i think the adapters on the server side can get a little bit more complicated like it can be a little bit more work to basically implement like a fully inertia compliant server but for the most part right it's really just like at its core all you have to do on the server is check a header. If the header isn't present, return your regular HTML response. If the header is present, just return like the the data. And there's nothing really sophisticated in terms of what like is necessary for inertia on the server. And then even on the client, like the client side adapters are also super convenient and have like some some important stuff in them. But f- but for the most part, like it's not difficult to basically write the view adapter for inertia manually and and just have it be part of your app it's like inertia the actual library like the important code that's inertia specific is really more just like a client-side routing library than it is like anything totally else. Like the, the the hard and complicated parts are all about like history management and and all that stuff which is kind of interesting yep 
hundred percent. It's very, it, that's the one part that I didn't maybe realize what I was getting myself into <laughs> when I started this project. Like we have all this amazing stuff that we can do with push state and everything else. We can handle history state with JavaScript. But like in 2019, the, the work that goes into getting that stuff to work nicely, clicking forward, clicking back, hitting refresh, when to reload pages, when to cat work with cache pages, all that kind of hairy stuff, even stuff like um, handling uh, scroll position and all these things. Like it, if, if you're not familiar with the view or the SPA world, or even if you are like, there's just some, you have to, I have a lot of appreciation for people who manage routing client side, like view router and react router, like the people who manage these things bless their hearts because this is, it is not easy. Even though the, the browsers have gotten way better at this stuff, that's the, that's the hard part. And that's just because like the internet's been around for like a long, long time now. And bra- and browsers are just, they do a wonderful job of full page reloads that we get so much out of the box, just kind of by default with a classic page reload. Uh, the browser just knows how to do that, handle it. So when we start creating client side routing libraries, we have to recreate a lot of this behavior that we've kind of had the luxury of just taking advantage of. And obviously we have reasons why we do that. <laughs> Otherwise we wouldn't be going down this whole road, but yeah, it's uh, that's the, tr- that's definitely been the tricky piece with inertia, but even still, like I, I, it's not that many lines of code. Uh, at the end of the day, it's less than three hundred lines of code for sure to kind of manage that whole piece. Yeah, that's which awesome. I think is kind of awesome. Yeah, and, and I think browser support, like they're coming out with more and more important features around this, so you can know, like when somebody hits back, you know what kind of back, uh, you know, visit it is, and there's like more support coming to modern browsers to tell developers kind of what what the intention was there's been half you know i think historically there's been a lot of like hacky workarounds with this stuff and and browsers like are becoming better at this piece too so yeah i'm excited in that sense for maintaining inertia it should get better over time not worse for sure so i think the next thing to get into would be talking about what it actually looks like to use inertia in your app because um, you know, if you're using one of these client-side adapters like the React adapter or the Vue adapter, there is sort of like an API for working with Inertia uh, in your app. Kind of like if you were using um, React Router, they give you like a router link component or something, right? Or like Next.js, they give you a link component. Um, and Inertia kind of works the same way, right? Like, so you're not just using like a regular anchor tag if you want to link to something, just like with basically any SPA sort of routing library. So yep. do you mind talking a little bit about what sort of the user land API for Inertia looks like, um, say maybe yep. in a view context, since that's probably the one that most of the listeners are most familiar with? Yep. Yeah. And really a lot of it's the same between Vue and React and Svelte. Like you can kind of like translate it pretty easily. So a little like interesting thing. One thing that TurboLinks does, which is like I often think is kind of like the inspiration for inertia, is it actually just puts like it, it automatically catches click events for any anchor click, right? So anytime you click, click a link. And I considered that for inertia early on, but it decided to take more of the the view router, React router approach where you actually create an actual link component and insert the link component within your page just because there's kind of weird things that can happen with links when you do kind of the automatic TurboLinks route. Uh, If you have external links or if you have uh, maybe a link that goes to like a PDF document or if you have a link that goes to uh, maybe an anchor on the page like uh, like a hash, hash link, 
um, you know, you kind of run into some issues there. So I decided to do kind of more of the whitelist approach where you actually insert an inertia link. So what you would do is to create within your application, you'd have your template. So let's, let's maybe think about your layout. Your layout has your main menu in it. So you can imagine your main menu has a bunch of pages in it, maybe your, uh, your dashboard and maybe your users page and maybe your profile and whatever, it, whatever it is that your particular app has. So each one of those anchor links, you would actually create as a, um, yeah, so let me, I'm going to just pull up the documentation here so I can speak properly about it. So you would just create what's called an inertia link. So just literally the only difference between it is you would say instead of, uh, an anchor. So a, you would just say inertia link for the actual component and href equals whatever the page you want to go to is So that's the only difference. And by doing it that way, inertia knows to intercept that click request and do an inertia visit. So that's really at the core how you actually enable the SPA mode, how you make it so that when you click, click a link, it makes an inertia response and doesn't do a full page reload. In fact, like you could set up inertia, not use any inertia links, and it would it would all work, but you'd, you'd still have full page reloads, which would sort of defeat the purpose. Um, so that's uh, that's just uh, kind of how you handle that piece of it. And then obviously you, you have all your links within your templates and your pages, but then you also have, there's lots of situations where you also make programmatic visits, right? So in this sense, so in that way, um, with inertia, it has a whole API for making these visits programmatically. So there is inertia.visit, which is sort of like the key, the core method that handles the visit. You pass it a URL, you pass it your method. So if it's a, is it a get request? Is it a post request? Uh, whatever data you want. And there's a bunch of other options that can come along with it as well, which are really interesting. Kind of how the, you can pass in uh, how the page state happens. So whether or not when you click that link, uh, it replaces uh, the current history state or if it appends, it like adds a new history state. So there's some really cool options there. Uh, there's some stuff around how it handles scrolling. So you can click a link and you can say, well, does this automatically reset the scrolling to the top of the page? Or, you know, there's might be situations where you actually want to keep the, the current scroll position. Uh, and then there's kind of like a bunch of methods that kind of implement the inertia visit method that kind of like are like shorthand. So there's an inertia.replace, uh, inertia.reload, uh, post, put, patch and delete. So, and each one of those kind of has a bunch of different defaults or whatever. Um, and that, that's really how that's really, uh, from the client side of things, it's really all your, at the most basic level, all you're doing to make your client side app inertia ready. I always like, I think one of the cool things about inertia is, is how lightweight it is at, at the end of the day. Um, you're not building an inertia app. Like I really feel like you're building a view app or you're building a react app. You're not building an inertia app. Now, obviously you're using inertia, but you know, if you wanted to pull out inertia at any point, because like you just decided that this is not for you, it would not take that much to completely remove inertia. Cause it, it doesn't like claw in deep and, to your application in that sense. Yeah, it's very much just like an alternative to view router, essentially, right? Or in a React app, you know, there's all kinds of different routers you can use with React. And you can think of inertia as just like another routing library. Yep. Yep. Where you Except the big obvious. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the big difference between inertia and view router or react router is that inertia literally has no client side route definitions. There's none. It's all done server side still. So that's, and that's, 
really interesting because it kind of like obviously gives you all the benefits of you know the classic server side routing and controllers yeah so one of the features of like links in inertia that i think is is something that is not immediately obviously necessary until you like start playing with it is there's this like preserve state attribute that you can stick on a link so just you can imagine it's just like you have like open bracket inertia link href equals slash foo and then preserve state is just like an attribute what does that do and why is that important yeah so this is kind of so this has been an interesting thing we've kind of had a little you know as inertia evolved kind of had to figure this out so you got to remember so each page component is um once it's loaded it's all like reactive right and and the, what happens is when you visit a new page, that page component, the old one basically uh, re, uh, react or view will, will destroy the old compa- page component and load the new page component, right? So what happens is, you know, any, his, any local state, so when I say local state, I mean local page like view react component state um, that you'd have in like your data, your data callback, right? Um so that might be, yeah, it might be something to display a modal. It might be some local form data. So the actual data in a form that you're, you're, you're using like view model for or whatever. It's that state, state that doesn't exist server side at that time. It's only in the view component. So what happens is if you visit a new page, obviously that component's destroyed and all that state's gone. That's just That just makes sense, right? But if you visit the same page, so, you know, imagine this, you're, you're, you're visiting the same page and you do this all the time with inertia. So, um, like an example you, of this might be like, like the important distinction I guess here is like same page component, but like different URLs. Yes. So it might be like users, Correct. if you're on users slash five and now you navigate to users slash 32, like that's yes. the same users page component, but now you're yeah. like on a different page. Exactly. So, and what can happen is if you're not careful in those situations, you might have page state for the first user that's different for the second user if you're going from one endpoint to the, 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 this, the next endpoint, but the page component staying the same. So, the view is not going to throw out that page component, right? All it does is it'll pass the new props for whatever that new page is and that page and that component will re-render based on those props. But if you have, if you have some local state, um, that's outside of kind of the prop um, uh, reflow or however you want to think of that. So you could end up with like stale state, local state between those two pages, which can create weird things. So by default, inertia gets around this by doing a really simple thing. Every, uh, both, uh, like all three client side adapters have this idea where you can pass a key to the component. And when you pass a key, um, that tells the server side framework, like, so reactive or whatever. Framework. You mean? Sorry, thank you. Yes, the client-side framework uh, to um, basically, if the key changes, it tells the client-side framework to completely re-render that component, throwing out any local state, and, and which be, is desirable. Like yeah. that, this isn't an inertia feature. Like React has a key prop on a component, View has a key prop, and that's how View and React. I've never used Svelte, but I know it's probably the same. That that's how View or React knows that like your intention is to like reuse the dom node or to start from scratch. Wipe it out. Yeah. 
Bingo. Exactly. So this actually worked out really well for us. I just kind of remember the day that Adam, you helped me find this like ID thing or this key thing. So that's, that was like a really, really good way to solve this problem. Like, okay, you're going from one page to another page that uses the same base page component. So like a one user page to another user page, but by using this key and changing this key and behind the scenes, all inertia is doing is literally grabbing a timestamp and incrementing the time or changing the timestamp to the current timestamp. And all by doing that, it tells viewer react. I thought, react I thought it used it. the URL as the key. No, we, we did that previously, but there's actually uh, weird uh, edge cases where you can run into problems even with that. Mm. So now, now we actually just use the, uh, the timestamp, okay. which is something I actually got. I believe I got that from uh, some stuff that view view router does um, the timestamp idea. But anyway, um, so what happens is by default, all visits throw a new key in it. So inertia will automatically and view or react will automatically reload that page component from kind of like fresh. Now keep in mind when I say reload the page component, I'm not saying reboot view or reboot react. We're only replacing that one single component here. So that's yeah, a, you're just replacing maybe, like user details, the user details view component with a new instance of user details view that has like, bingo. basically like the, you can think of like the, you know, the constructor has been called again, you know what I mean? So yep. you got like all any local data is wiped out you're starting with like a fresh version of that same component but still in a totally alive view environment nothing's changed there correct so now imagine that you have a user's index page okay and you have a search field on that user index page where you want to type in something in the search field to 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 limit the results that you're seeing on that page and you and you're doing that by when when someone fills out the search value, you're making a get request to the same page with that search query, right? So imagine slash users, query string, uh, search equals, you know, Adam, right? So that's kind of like the way it's coming through. So one thing I think worth pointing out here, I think, is I think if you're thinking of like a regular view app, like a traditional SPA, the way that something like this would work is like the button that triggers the search or maybe it happens as you're typing or whatever, going to make an Ajax request to the API with Axios or whatever, get back the new list of users that match your sort of filters and then just replace that in local data. But like that is not how it works in inertia because inertia is meant to replicate sort of like a server side environment. Instead, inertia, you're, you're thinking of it more like you would in a regular Laravel app where like yeah. when you, when you type something in the search and you hit search, it makes a new request. It updates the query string in the URL. The server creates new HTML and renders it. So inertia is trying to like improve that version of it, which is yeah, very different than like the local JavaScript state version. But yeah, now you run into this kind of problem that you're getting to. Yeah. So this is, so that's a really, really good point. Like definitely think of inertia as like, we're trying to mimic uh, classic server side form, like server side form behave, like form submissions, page visits, all that kind of stuff, but not actually making full page reloads, right? So that's exactly it. So when you send down, uh, when you make that request, uh, so type in the data in your input and hit submit or have it automatically happen just, you know, kind of on uh, key up or whatever. What inertia will do is it'll make the request to the server and update, um, and use it and make the request in the query string and that'll update the actual browser, right? So the history state and everything else. 
Um, but what can happen is it's visiting the same page at that point. So, right? So it's going from the index page and it's visiting the index page. The only difference is we now have a query string that's been appended with whatever the search value is, which means that the actual page component, the view component or the react component is the same component as well. So then you run into this issue where if, if that input, because the whole page component is going to be reloaded by default, that's how it works, right? That, that whole key thing, what well, you'll lose basically your input, um, value. So if I typed in Adam in the input to do a search for all the, the people with all the users with the name Adam, it's going to reload and that, that local state will be gone. Now you might be thinking, well, you could easily just pass that value now from your controller to the view component as a prop, which you absolutely can do, uh, which is how you would do it kind of in a classic, uh, a classic server-side uh, app. But the problem is you're going to, you lose more than just your local component data state. You also lose the actual state of the page as in like, well, what's the currently focused input, right? Cause it, like you'll lose that when, when viewer react replaces that all cause of that key being swapped out. Exactly. So it's the, the solution is to this whole problem is re remarkably simple the, on every single, uh, inertia, page visit like whenever you create like when I whenever you do a page visit or whenever you create an inertia link you can just add this preserve state boolean and when you do that it just tells inertia to say well don't update that key so don't force the local page uh state page component state to be cleared out actually just keep it and that's all it takes and now when you run your search um what's going to happen is and, and this is really really neat um it makes the request to the server, again, using Ajax as an inertia request. It's gonna visit that index endpoint for the users. It's gonna pass through the query string, which whatever that is. It's gonna run the, the, the search server side against your database or whatever. And then it's gonna return a new inertia response. That inertia response is gonna come back and it's gonna have the subset of the users that were filtered out from the search. And it's gonna come back to your page. And what inertia is going to do is it's going to get those that new data and it's going to update that component's props. And inertia, uh, the way Vue and React and Svelte work, the way all this reactivity stuff works, whenever your page component receives new props from the outside, it forces that component to re-render. So what's going to happen? But sorry, not the component to re yeah, it forces the component to like re-render, but it doesn't replace the component, right? So it's like redrawing the component based on whatever new new data, whatever new props have been passed to it. So you get this this new user data, which is going as the props, and it's going to update your user list. So that's going to literally like update below, but your actual local page component state, like your, your, the value in the input, the fact that you're focused on it, even your scroll position, like all those things are just going to remain exactly where they are, uh, and not get blown away. Yeah. Um, so it, it's this really, really unique kind of, uh, way of building these pages, um, that would be, uh, you don't really, like you can literally build it like you would a normal server side app um, and not have to, but not have to worry about, um, the f making full page reload. So you kind of really get the benefit and you don't have to build it like a, an, uh, a classic SPA where you'd make a, an Ajax request and get it and then have to inspect the response and then replace the data locally yourself. Like it all just like works magically. It just works. It just replaces it. You kind of get, it's a really cool, like balance, uh, middle ground between like server side and client side apps.
Yeah. There's probably right. like that was maybe a little bit confusing to <laughs> listeners. Hopefully they get the gist of that. I, I should mention like right off the you know, the top here, I should have mentioned it earlier actually, is we have a, a, a fully functioning Laravel View demo app called Ping CRM, which kind of implements like all these all this stuff. Uh, and it's really easy to pull down and kind of get running locally on your system and kind of see how it actually works. And mm-hmm. it, that gives a really good example of this this thing that we're talking about right now too. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, So here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, So you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, This is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, So there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, you can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, you can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, you get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan Uh, so if you're not already using them definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out it really is one of my absolute favorite services that i use on my own projects thanks a ton to cloudinary for sponsoring this episode back to the show so i think the other um the only other place that you sort of interact with inertia in your own code is forms. And I think people might be sort of surprised by that at first. And I, I know this wasn't actually like in early versions of inertia. Originally we were just doing Axios and trying to figure that out or whatever. But eventually you got to this point where it became clear that um, the the best possible experience is uh, to make people basically do all their server requests like proxied through inertia in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, so what is sort of like the API for working with form submissions um, with inertia? What is kind of like the the benefits of it, and what interesting yeah. things are there to sort of know about it? Yeah. So this is kind of actually it's kind of good that we kind of cover that other piece because it'll kind of set the stage for this. So what most people do when they first start getting up and running with inertia 
is they have their page component, which has their form. So imagine maybe you're, it's a create user form, which has the name and the email address and a, a submit button. And what they'll do is, uh, because it's in view, uh, it's a client side template, right? It's a whole, that whole thing. What they'll do is instead of doing a classic form submission, they'll be inclined to create like a submit, they'll, they'll create like a submit um, uh, interceptor, right? They'll inter intercept the submit handler uh, action and they'll actually make an Ajax request to the server to create that user. And then once that's done, they'll do something, right? And that's a very like natural thing. And that's literally the way I handled all my forms prior to inertia. I would make an Ajax request, hit the, uh, the user create endpoint, get the validation. If there's validation errors, I would update the local component state to display those validation errors. And then in the event that the user was successfully created, I would do a redirect client side, you know, doing window.location.href equals whatever to actually do a redirect to maybe the, maybe back to the index page for the users or go to the actual user edit page or something else like that. Right. So that's a lot of people when they first get going with inertia, that's kind of like what their inclination is to do. But here's the thing. You don't need to do that. It, it's actually like way like it's, it's, I think it's way cooler. Um, because what's annoying with that approach is you now need to like, when you make that Ajax request, you actually have to have like uh, a handler where you get the response and then parse out the response, get the data and, and see what happened. And if there was an error, do one thing. If there wasn't an error, do another thing. And kind of that whole song and dance. Um, but with inertia, what you can do is you just make an inertia post request or an inertia put request. And what and the way you think about this, again, think about it as if you had a classic server side submitted form. So you have a form that you have a bunch of input data in and you submit it to the server. And what would you do with like a classic server side submitted form? You would submit the data to the server, which would hit the create endpoint or the update endpoint. You'd validate that data in the event that there was an error you would redirect back to the same page. So that's what like, your server-side framework would do is would redirect back to the page that you were on, the form page, passing like your old, like the input data so you can repopulate the form and it would pass you like an errors object of any error so you could display those errors on the page, right? And that whole process is like super painful. Like that's why I've done so many of my forms in, in JavaScript, but that's fundamentally like how it works if you were to do a classic server-side form, uh, like form submission. So... Inertia actually works more like that, but like in like a really good way. So what happens is you'd have like your form in in view, and that form would have uh, some data, right? And that data would be modeled to like the name input and the email input and whatever other inputs you have. So you're keeping that state locally in that page component that has the form. And then when you actually make the request, you still intercept the form submission and make that request using inertia. So you would say inertia dot, let's say in this situation, post to create the user. And you would say inertia dot post and you'd pass the endpoint to create the user. So the slash users and you'd pass in the data. So in that case, it would be just your form data, um, the, the name and the email. And you just pass that in as like uh, just a, a, a key value object, right? And then that what happens then is that goes and gets submitted as a post request, an inertia post request to your user's controller uh, store endpoint. That store endpoint 
does some validation, which I'll loop back to in a second. And then if the validation passes, it actually creates that user. And then what's this is like the really cool piece. So like a classic server-side um, framework, and when you're doing classic server-side form submissions, what you would do at that point is you would actually do a redirect to wherever you want to go. So instead of returning some JSON, which might be your inclination at this point, you don't. You literally just say redirect somewhere else. So where do you want to go after you create the user? So you'd redirect either, again, to the user show page maybe or the user index page. Wherever you want to go, it doesn't matter. But you 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 define that redirect on the server then. So then what happens is inertia will follow that redirect. So this is a, a thing that maybe people don't realize how, uh, I, I don't even know if this is a feature of, I should probably know this, if this is a feature of like XHR or a feature of Axios. I think it might even just be a browser feature. When you make an AJAX request, which inertia request is, and it hits an endpoint, and then that endpoint does a redirect, that AJAX request will actually follow the redirect. So now think of this, it's gonna hit the user post endpoint, create that user, and then do a redirect to say back to the user index page, okay? So the user index page, so, so now your Ajax request hits the user index page, and the user index page is like, okay, I know how to handle that, and it just returns the inertia response, so the JSON payload for a classic just, it has no, the the user index page has no clue that, 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 that you got there from the user create page for the user store endpoint, right? It just knows, okay, I, you want, I, we're on the user index page. So it returns that. So that response now gets sent back to your create user page and inertia notices that it's an inertia response and it says, oh, I have to go to a new page because the server responded saying that I'm now on the user index page. Here's a new page component and here's the new props for that. And it basically just swaps it out. So what it feels like practically in the app is you hit submit and the user gets created successfully and boom, you've been redirected to the index page. Yeah. You haven't had to do literally anything more than that. Pretty awesome. I think this is yeah. this is cool because this is one of those places. I think this is an important concept to understand because I think this, this is one of those places where it helps it click for people like what you really mean by it being like a monolithic approach, right? Like the server and the client are truly integrated and like working together and the server yes. still the, the server is not like a dumb api that's like oh uh here's the data do whatever you want like this the server is still sort of like in a lot of ways the brains of the operation and like in control of like what the app is really supposed to do when the user performs different actions and stuff like that yep yeah. So, so let me give me a little bit more detail around this. There's some more interesting pieces here. So, uh, related to this, uh, there's kind of two things to kind of like think about that people run into right away, which is error handling and flash messages. So let's talk about error handling first. So let, let's imagine now that we're back on that create user page and you submit and you put the name in right, but the email address is wrong. You put an invalid email address. So that's going to submit inertia dot post and it's going to go to that user create page and the validation in that store that store method on your server is going to say, hey, you gave me an incorrect email address. So what it's going to do, so Laravel, for instance, and I think Rails would work the same way, is it's going to say, well, an, a validation error happened. So it's not going to spit back JSON validation errors. 
That's not what's going to happen. You might think that because that's what happens when you make a normal Ajax request, right? Like Laravel, for example, will say, hey, this is an Ajax request. So we're going to just assume that you want JSON back. But inertia doesn't. Inertia actually requests HTML back by default. And this is like kind of like the background, like intricacies of how inertia actually works. So what happens is your Laravel framework, when you hit that endpoint and the validation fails, it does what Laravel always does when it hits an invalid, like a validation error. It loops back to the requesting page, which is your create user page. So it does a redirect and it includes the errors in this, in the session. It basically flashes the errors in the session, right? And the way you would normally handle this with a, with a classic server-side form submission, like a full page form submission, is you would get the errors object in your blade template and you would now output those errors. You'd say, well, if there's an error for the for the name field, output that error. If there's an error for the email field, well, output that error. But that's like, so with inertia, what happens is it's gonna redirect back to the create user page, the one you're on, so nothing's gonna change. And except what's gonna happen is it'll have now, at least in the session, those errors so then what you can do, and this is this is something I'm still debating, like building in like first class into the inertia Laravel adapter and the Rails ones. But right now what you do is you basically just say whenever whenever there's an errors object, you would define this in your like your Laravel uh, app service provider. But it basically says whenever there's errors in the session, pass those errors, share those errors with inertia. So there's this concept of like like a global like like global data sharing. So you can pass data to inertia, not from a controller, but just like from another part of your app, such as your app service provider. So what that allows you to do is just once define in your application, anytime there's errors in the session, we want to pass those to whatever the current page component is. So then what happens is within your inertia, with within your like, create user page component within that form, you literally just look to see if page.errors is set for that particular input and you just render it. And what's crazy is because this is all reactive and this is all basically just coming back as new props because you're on the same page component, like those errors like just immediately show up reactively. Like you don't really need to do anything other than just check for their existence and show them. So there's no like, you don't need to do any like repopulating of the form input because there's like, like you haven't changed, like the local state's been maintained. Uh, so you don't have to like refill out like the email field and the name field. Like those, that just all happens because the component state is all just there still, but you now have the new errors and you literally like the page just, and, and this is what's cool, right? Because it redirected back to the create user page so like the page didn't go anywhere. Like you're in the exact same spot. So what's neat is like an endpoint, when you hit like the create user uh, store endpoint, like the end result of that request can lead to two different pages. One, the create user page if there's an error, or two, the user index page if it successfully created that user. So that's how you handle form uh, validation error uh, errors, which just feels awesome. Uh, and kind of like takes a bit of a brain shift to kind of think about how that works and, and yeah. kind of update your, 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 your thinking on that a little bit. It's pretty cool, right? Because it means like from the server's perspective, the server doesn't, it almost like doesn't in your controllers, you almost don't know that like the front end is an SPA sort of like, you're just like, pretend it's a blade view. What would I do? I'm going to put some stuff in the session and I'm going to redirect back. And Bingo. inertia just like handles that. And then the other cool thing is that you kind of just mentioned is 
what's cool about how this approach works is it's actually like it's both less work than what you would do in a server version because you don't have to repopulate all the form versions, all that stuff, and it's less work than it would be in like the SVA. So you kind of get like the best of both worlds. It's like whatever the most convenient features of it being an SPA are and the most convenient features of the server are, whichever for 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 any given problem, whichever side had the simpler solution, like that side wins and you just get the get it for free with inertia, which is really cool. Yeah. So two things. One, you're absolutely right. And two, you're officially hired as our salesperson. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the last topic that I wanted to get into, um, Oh, oh, before you do that, Adam, I did want to touch on one other thing real quickly here, which is just the flash messages. So I have, I talked about the flash messages earlier. I just wanted to say that flash messages work the exact same way. So when you do that redirect, when you fly, like really a flash message, the errors are just a type of flash flash message right so it's the flash me- the, the flash messages work the exact same way so that kind of throws people off sometimes like, well how do i do that well literally you just throw it in the session and then have inertia share those values automatically with your page and then what and you can even like so what i do is i actually render my flash messages not in my page component a lot of times i'll just render them right in my 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 template my layout um, view component. And, and that's, so anytime there's an, uh, an error, for example, I say, well, there was a form error and I display that. Or anytime there's like a success message passed in the flash messages, I just like display that. So that's kind of a, another like thing that throws people off kind of initially, but it's actually really, really simple with inertia. Yeah. Makes sense. So I think the last topic that I want to get into is, um, sort of, how do I put this? Something that's interesting or something that people might assume about inertia, especially like with some of the stuff we've been talking about is you can sort of understand why there might be some like limitations to the user experience that you can provide with inertia because of the fact that you're trying to like embrace this like server side mentality. You're trying to not throw away like all that convenience that you get from that. But because of that, there are things that you can do in an SPA that maybe either can't be done in inertia out of the box or things that you're working on in inertia out of the box or sorry, not out of the box, but working on, you know, supporting. Um, So I think it'd be cool to talk about like some of the sort of in development things that you're working on to try and continue to bridge the gap uh, from like a traditional server side user experience to really being able to like compete toe to toe with like a traditional SPA um, yeah. So what you're working on there, what some of the problems you've been tackling are and, 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 you know, just what places like you think there is opportunity to, to, to improve that. So I know like one that came to mind that we worked on a bit originally was persistent layout stuff. So like when you click a link, say you have like a page that has like a sidebar and like a main content area and the sidebar is like scrollable independently. If you scroll to the bottom of the sidebar, click a link in a regular server-side app, when the new page refreshes, that sidebar scrolled back to the top, right? In an SPA, like a full-on SPA, you can preserve that sidebar scroll position. Now, something in- worth <laughs> noting is that there are a lot of SPA frameworks out there that don't make this easy because they actually use a similar approach to inertia in terms of this like page component thing where there's like a top-level page yeah. component. It's like, for example, out-of-the-box Next.js and Gatsby make this kind of a hard. I wrote a blog post about like how to solve this problem with Next.js and it's actually basically the same solution that we uh, came up with um, for inertia. But yeah, I think it'd be interesting to hear from you about this problem and and what you've done to make it possible to solve this problem with inertia. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of funny because 
I, I sort of had like kind of my original idea with this thing was I always sort of had this in the back, in the back of my head, like, well, inertia will always sort of have like some limitations on like how nice of an SPA experience can, it can be. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a really, really nice SPA experience. But when you go full on like SPA, when you have API, like an API where you can make like multiple requests to an API at a single time and upload the page in different ways, like all at the same time, um, you can do some pretty crazy things with an API, kind of like that classic SPA API sort of approach. And I was always kind of like, well, well, that, you know, that'll be like, there's only so so much inertia can do. And I'm okay with that because we kind of have this whole concept of like a page component. And that page component is like really core to how inertia works, right? Because that's really core to how a classic server-side rendered app works. But it's been fun because the longer I work on the project, the more I realize like how, <laughs> the more we've been able to like solve some of these things and like introduce features that I wouldn't have expected to be able to introduce. So the persistent layouts one is a great example. And it's such a practical problem that like a lot of people want to have solved. So like two really simple examples. One, you have a long navigation menu that you want to be able to scroll independent of your page content, right? And, uh, and you want to do that so you can basically maintain your context, right? Um, so right now with, by default, the way you implement a layout in inertia is you have your page component and then you would essentially just within that page component, you have a, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, but like you have a, a child layout component. So this layout component is in your page component. So it's technically from a technical perspective, it is a child of your page component. Yeah, even though it's, but, it is the root element, it's still like exactly. a child, yeah. Exactly. So what that actually looks like is if you imagine your like a view template, for example, you'd have your template tags and then you'd immediately have your layout tags and then you inside of that, you'd have your whole page component. So what that does and then in your layout page, you'd have like all your, your whole layout in your, sorry, in your layout component, you'd have the, the complete layout, which has like your header and your nav and everything else. And then it would have a slot within that, just one slot that actually renders whatever, whatever you pass through for that page component. But the problem with that is when you change from page to page and that component, that page component gets thrown away and a new one gets rendered in there, that layout is being completely re-rendered as well. That's just the way View and React do the whole DOM diffing thing. Um, I, I don't know a ton about that that stuff, but I do know that the layout end, ends up, unfortunately, getting thrown out. And there is reasons for it. It's because you can have, because it's a child component, there can be props that are passed from the child component to the layout like so maybe you want to set like a page title or, or some other piece of information uh so i'm sure it's a complicated problem but anyway the point is the layout get, that component gets thrown out and re-rendered meaning any local state such as your scroll position gets thrown out as well so we hacked we hacked on this problem and the trick basically the way to solve this problem is to actually like render the layout outside of the page component. And Adam, you can maybe help fill this in if I describe this wrong, but instead of rendering the layout within the page component, you actually, you render the two independently of each other. And then what you do is you take the page component that gets rendered and you just essentially pass it in to the layout component. And since they're getting rendered independently, then when you go to a new page, that page now, um, uh, when it renders, it can render independently now of the layout, allowing you to maintain that local state in your layout. So we, the way we, so, so with inertia, you basically have two choices with layouts. You can use the kind of the default child component approach, 
or you can use this new feature in Inertia, which is called persistent layouts. And persistent layouts, basically, you just give it the name of your component, um, or sorry, the name of your layout component, and it'll automatically just do that for you. And what's cool is you can actually do this like nested as well for like more complex layouts. Um, so that's how that's just like one problem we solved. And uh, something I didn't really think we'd be able to do with Inertia, and and we've been able to to do it, and it works. It works wicked. Another really good use case for that actually is people who have like media players within a website. So maybe you have like a podcast website or something, and you're, you're listening to a podcast, and you want to keep browsing the app, but somewhere like in the footer of the app, you see like the currently played, you know, the the podcast that's currently being played. Well, you don't. That has to stay persistent, and that's really, really, it's basically impossible to do without persistent layouts. And that's what's you know amazing about an SPA is you can actually have a user playing some piece of media and then browsing the entire site at the same time. So that's that's one cool example. Um, another one that we I didn't think would really be possible uh, is placeholder pages. So basically, when you go from one page to another page. So this isn't actually a feature in Laravel, in Inertia today, but this idea like if I click, if I'm on maybe the dashboard and I click on the user's page, well, a request has to be made to the server, get that page data, get the user data, and then actually client side, do the swap and show that page. Yeah, so I think Let's, like before going any yeah. further, I think one thing worth, yeah, yeah. worth clarifying or making sure people understand is that because of like the nature of how Inertia works, when you request, you make a request to a page, you don't even know what component to show until the response comes back. Um, and you don't know, you have no information, right? Like you're literally just making a request to a URL and then the server has to do all its work. Say it's like a really slow server and it has to do a long database query and it takes five seconds to get the data back. That means you don't get a response back for five seconds, which means inertia is just sitting on the page that you were already on like unlike what you could do in a regular spa a lot of time where like you kind of switch to a loading state and have like a loading spinner or something while you wait for the data inertia has to behave a lot more like a traditional server-side app um, and you use like end progress or something like you kind yep. of rolled yourself yep. there is loading similar. states so you you yep. get like a loading state that's like a little bar across the top of the screen but you're seeing the old the previous page still until the response goes back from the server it's basically like a blocking sort of re request so um yeah that's kind of i think that it's worth making sure that people understand that before because that's like what this problem or what this totally problem we're trying to solve so yes and and that and that and that problem at the heart that problem exists because of how the routing works in a when when you do like normal client side routing when you hit a url the the client side routing library knows from your route definition that this url needs to load this page component inertia doesn't have that luxury now obviously that's a trade-off that we think is worth you know but it doesn't have it it has to wait for the server response to come back in order to know what page is going to load next so that creates two problems one it doesn't allow us to prefetch the JavaScript page component. So uh, inertia worth noting as well here. There's so many layers to all this. Inertia supports um, uh, code splitting, like just like any view app would. Code splitting is really, really nice. It allows you to split up really large JavaScript applications and provide smaller bundles. And then as you click through your app, it'll load the additional JavaScript that's needed to, to show a page but only when it's actually required. So uh, code code splitting is awesome. Works with inertia, but it kind of comes with this problem that we can't we can't initially know well what 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 page component do we have to like prefetch there because the server literally has that knowledge. 
So me and you the other day, we're hacking on this and we kind of came up with a solution that works for both. So what happens is on a link, what you can do is you can say, well, okay, I'm on the dashboard page right now, but I'm going to, I want to go to the user index page. So what you can say is on the user index inertia link, you can actually define the placeholder component as just literally an attribute on that link. And this is really neat because what happens is it, one, it gives you uh, the flexibility on the client side to be able to specify, well, what that is going to be, what that, what that page is going to be and even pass in some props in addition to that. So you can pass in like this. So you could, in theory, put a placeholder page there that's different than the actual page that's going to get rendered eventually. Um, so you could have a placeholder page for the user index page or a placeholder page component for the user index page that's uh, that's shown while it's loading. And then when the actual response comes back, it actually shows the user index page. So it gives some really cool flexibility around that. So then what happens is inertia will see that placeholder attribute. It'll one, prefetch it to make sure if you're using code splitting, it'll prefetch that component um, and then render it and does that on hover and then actually render that placeholder component. And then you can do really whatever you want in that placeholder component. You can do some sort of fancy an, uh, animation. You could show a table with some stubbed out data, you know, whatever you want. And then it like, so it basically shows that instantaneously. And then, so you kind of feels like you landed on the user index page. And then when the actual response comes back from the server, it'll update that component and fill in all the data because that data will come back. All the props will be there and you'll, you'll see it. And what's kind of neat about that is like, one, it feels like super fast, right? Because you clicked on another page, you immediately see the page. You might even already see the title, like the user's title, the H1. You might even see a button to create a new user before the before that data even comes back from the server. So it kind of, that's just like, that's a feature we're still working on. It's not actually officially out yet. Um, but that, yeah, one of the things I want to add because it's, it's really neat and um, kind of allows you to, again, like get closer to that SPA line without having to fully embrace yeah. SPA. Yeah, I think like the thing that I really like about it is, um, you know, like you're saying it, like you're saying it gives you that ability to create that SPA like feel where like on Facebook, you click something, you see like your timeline, you kind of see that like animated gradient as it loads in your timeline. Like You can totally recreate that with this feature of inertia yeah. that's being worked on. And like you said, that's even cooler is if the page that you're on already has some of the data that you'll need for the page that you're going to you can like pass that along to the placeholder and say by the way like i know you you're going to need to know who like the current user is like i already know that so here you go so when it loads up the placeholder page um it can have like anything that you already have can be pre-populated while you wait for the response from the server which can make things feel faster and more responsive yeah. too so um, yeah, and I would yeah. I would say this, this is like a pretty advanced feature in a way, but like if this is like a pretty important, it, it's like all layers, right? Like any app, like whether or not you create full placeholder pages, like it really depends on your app and how important that is. Like yeah. already inertia feels really, really snappy and the loading indicator works really well. It's just, again, it's just another option as a developer for you. It's just another tool in this inertia toolbox. Yeah, and what I like about it is more, it's more the fact that it's possible, right? It's like, yeah, I like, I like trying to look for places where inertia is not, um, like competitive with SPAs and figuring out how can we do it? 
And like, it feels yeah. like every week inertia is just taking like another couple inches towards like literally having no, um, like no downsides compared to a traditional SPA in terms of the UI fidelity. Um, and this to me feels like one of the final, final pieces there. So it's, yeah. it's been pretty exciting because like originally inertia started out as like, if you're building like an app with blade templates and you're mixing in some view components, this is going to be better than that but it's designed for people who are happy with that and that was the type of app that they were trying to build um if you just like want to write everything in view so you're not like writing two languages for ui stuff and whatever like this solves your problems um but there was almost like an acceptance built into that of like we're not trying to build like a full-on crazy like spa right it's a it's like a rails or laravel regular app but you're using Vue or React as like your UI language. Um, but I feel like we've been able to like move like the the measuring stick or whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to yeah. use a yeah. lot there. And and at this point it's not really like that anymore. It's not you're not really making any significant sacrifices. It's it's more like the mission has really become like how can we build something that a hundred percent full on competes with a regular SPA. You can't even tell the difference except you were able to do it without having to buy into this super complex architecture. And you can just keep building things like the same way that you've been building rails apps since 2005 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's like, there's so many, like there's, there's more layers we could go on forever here. Um, but like the, another one that I think is like worth briefly mentioning with inertia is that there is like, like authentication, like just works, right? Like, so your classic session auth that you know and love in Laravel or Rails, like that just works with inertia, like just works. So your middleware, for instance, so going back to this example, like you're on the dashboard, you click on the in user index page, right? So it like clicks on, you click on the user index page, what's going to happen is it's going to make that request to the server and your auth middleware is going to make it do a check to see if... Um, you're still logged in, right? Like just like every single request with, you know, kind of a classic session auth would work. So what's going to happen though, is when you do that and it hits that, that middle where it says, Hey, it's this user's no log longer logged in. What a normal Laravel app will do is it'll redirect you back to the login page to log in. Right. And this is what's cool with inertia too. It'll literally do the same thing. You'll get a redirect that's back to the login page, which is going to return an inertia login page response which is just going to automatically update the app client side. So there's not even like anything really fancy that you need to do even to handle like logging in and logging out and redirecting when you log out, like all that kind of just works. Totally. It's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty exciting. I'm excited to uh, start playing with it on more of my own real stuff. Uh, Cause I've definitely been having fun working with you just like working on ping CRM, just like the little example app and just seeing how far we can sort of push the boundaries of it. But I haven't had a chance to build anything real with it yet. So I'm excited to play with that. So I think maybe that's a good place to start wrapping up, man. What, what's the best way for people to keep up with you, keep up with uh, what you're doing with inertia. And is there anything else like you want to plug or mention before we start wrapping up? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I would say the best place to follow me is on Twitter as a, uh, that's a pretty common response. Um, the uh, my Twitter username is just my last name, Reinink, R E I N I N K. So that's uh, normally where I'll talk about inertia. 
Um, there's also an Inertia Twitter account, Inertia JS. So you can follow that account if you'd like as well. InertiaJS.com is the website. So uh, be sure to check that out. It's a work in progress, but the docs are already pretty decent. So uh, look at that. Again, uh, like look at the ping CRM, ping CRM demo app. That's like a really, really useful tool to kind of get a sense of like how I would structure a Laravel view inertia application. And the principles there like totally pass over like from view to React. I think you can you can easily figure that out if you're a React developer. And uh, yeah, I would say um, I'm really trying to focus my open source efforts on this right now. So a uh, bit of a, maybe a, a plug for me. I just started using, uh, I just set up GitHub sponsorship. So if inertia is important to you and you want to help basically me fund time to work on this project, I already do a ton in my spare time, but uh, it's always a challenge finding that work-life balance between, uh, you know, work and open source and, you know, getting off the computer. So I would appreciate it if you uh, would consider sponsorship on GitHub if inertia is important to you. And uh, yeah, other than that, there's also a Discord channel. So if you want to jump in and join the discussion, you are welcome to do it there as well. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about Inertia JS. If you're interested in the show notes, they can be found at fullstackradio.com slash 127. Thanks to Cloudinary and DigitalOcean for sponsoring the podcast this week, and we'll see you next time.